Hey, I'm Dr. Gariana Demers. I'm an orthopedic sports medicine surgeon, and I have successfully integrated orthobiologics into my busy practice so that I can provide a continuum of care and treat patients who are in the gap. The gap is this gray area in orthopedics where standard conservative treatments have not been effective, but surgery may not be warranted. And we usually tell our patients, come back when it's worse. What? These are your patients coming to you for help. Orthobiologics is that solution that can fill the gap and help you treat your patients who are in your office looking to you for help. Orthobiologics can also be an excellent treatment for frustrating problems without good surgical outcomes. This podcast will help you create the orthobiologics business that will make you love your job again. We will focus on the value of orthobiologics, patient selection, how to talk to your patients about money, office setup, and other logistics. If this is something you've always wanted but don't know where to start, join me in the business of orthobiologics podcast. Hi, welcome to PRP Research. We'll be covering mounting evidence in favor of PRP use, results and expectations, dosing and concentration, my top five applications. This is an overview of the evidence to support PRP use by application. We'll start with knee arthritis. And this first study is out of ASCA. This is in 2022. This is a randomized controlled trial with an add of 610. And this is PRP versus saline. PRP fared better than saline up to 60 months. And it was shown to be chondroprotective with less loss of joint space at 60 months. The next is at the Archives of Orthopedic Trauma Surgery out of 2020. This is a meta-analysis of 30 randomized controlled trials. This is level one evidence and of 3,463, showing PRP better for knee arthritis versus placebo, steroid, and HA at 3, 6, and 12 months. Our next study is hip arthritis out of OJSM 2021. And this is a randomized controlled trial of HIPOA and out of 42 with two-year follow-up. In this study, it showed 50% advanced to total hip arthroplasty in the HA group and only 15% progressed to total hip arthroplasty in the PRP group. This showed that leukocyte-poor PRP delayed need for total hip. Very interesting study. Additionally, in 2016, a randomized controlled trial, N of 111, PRP versus HA, again, showed PRP better than HA for pain and functional. And this is at least durable in this study up to 12 months. Next will be gluteus medius tendinopathy. This is a lovely study by Dr. Fitzpatrick. And this is a level one randomized controlled trial in 2019, corticosteroid versus leukocyte-rich PRP, N of 80, 40 in the leukocyte-rich PRP group, 40 in the corticosteroid group. And the PRP performed significantly better with improvement by 12 weeks, sustained up to two years. And the corticosteroid had max improvement by six weeks, but this was not maintained at the 24-week mark. Next will be this chronic MCL strain. Out of 2020, this is an N of 52, symptomatic greater than three months NCL strain with six-month follow-up. And this is really interesting because this was an intraarticular injection weekly for three weeks, uh, not intratendinous or intraligamentous. And we showed that pain improved by one month and this resolved. So this was really interesting and piqued my interest because this was not an intratendinous or intraligamentous effect but a local effect from the 
articular injection alone. Next would be the ankle arthritis. This is a 2020 level 2 trial, N of 39 with six-month follow-up, tibial tailor arthritis. And they got a single 3cc injection of PRP uh, pain decreased by 50% with a single injection at the six-month mark. If we look at ankle sprain, this is the Journal of Medical Science and Clinical Research in 2020. This is a level two trial, N of 40, one-year follow-up, grade three ATFL sprains with 20 cc's blood draw, 6 cc PRP, with the PRP group being better from one month to the one-year follow-up. This is the next study is Achilles non-insertional Achilles tendinopathy with a 2015 study level four leukocyte-rich PRP single injection with 50-month follow-up with the visa score improving from 45 to 88 at the 50-month follow-up. And patient satisfaction, 91% would repeat the treatment. Additionally, there was no ruptures. In 2017, Boson showed a level one randomized control trial of corticosteroid versus saline versus PRP plus eccentric training. It was a 24-week follow-up, and the visa scores improved with PRP and corticosteroids at 24 weeks, but not the saline sham. This was all better than eccentric alone, and corticosteroid was better in the short term than PRP, but long-term PRP was better. Next, rotator cuff tendinopathy, partial thickness tears, show a study in 2020 that was an injection of intratendinous 1 ml PRP injection, N of 128 patients with an ultrasound-guided injection with a 70% success rate. Failures were predicted by a type 3 chromium or significant AC joint arthritis. Another study for the rotator cuff out of OJSM showed a 2021 randomized control trial platelet-rich plasma versus corticosteroid for partial thickness rotator cuff tears. This was an NF32 subacromial application of leukocyte-poor ACP in the subacromial space only. At six months, leukocyte-poor PRP was better than corticosteroid. However, this does bring up some questions about injection location versus corticosteroid versus the PRP, as well as dosing with a 1cc injection only. So something to think about and be critical of when you're looking at the literature. When we talk about lateral epicondylitis, so this is a study out of AJSN. This is the landmark study by Alan Mishra, 2013, randomized control trial, N of 230, six-month follow-up, it looks like PRP plus dry needling versus dry needling alone. PRP group was 84% success rate versus 68% success rate with dry needling alone. AGSM 2019 systematic review showed PRP to be statistically and clinically better in the long term versus corticosteroid for lateral epicondylitis. And that really starts to push our treatment protocols for the long-term benefit for a patient. When we look at UCL partial tear, this is out of OJSM 2021, level of evidence 3 with an N of 50, and this was a single PRP injection of UCL strain, and 64% returned to throwing. These overhead throwing athletes after one PRP injection. 10 patients required a second injection, and of those 10 patients, three returned to uh, return to throwing. So a total return to play for a throwing athlete after UCL injury with PRP injection was 72%. 
This is not for complete tears, and this is not for multiple tears, they concluded. When we look at CMC arthritis, this is a 2018 level 1 randomized controlled trial, NF33, two injections of PRP two weeks apart versus steroid CMC injection. PRP was better and fared better and lasted for at least one year. So this is something that we really need to think about when we're telling our patients from an expectation standpoint how long CMC corticosteroid injection is going to last versus how long PRP injection of the CMC is going to last. And then also risks of infection, um, accelerated arthritis, blood sugar elevation, osteoporosis. Uh, so, you know, corticosteroids are not exactly benign. This is a lovely study for carpal tunnel syndrome, 2021, level one randomized control trial. In 26 of patients with bilateral carpal tunnel syndrome, they received corticosteroid injection versus 3.5 mLs of PRP, and PRP performed better at every time up to the one-year mark. Now, these are some other applications that you may or may not be aware of. This is a caudal epidural support on 2020, showing level one randomized control trial of 60 ml blood draw of leukocyte-rich PRP versus corticosteroid caudal epidural. And PRP was deemed to be not only safe, but better than corticosteroids from the three-month to six-month mark. We do have a sacroiliac joint, TJD. This was a 2020 study, level 3 evidence of ultrasound-guided SI joint injection of PRP. They did have a two-point pain decrease from one month to one year and 10% functional improvement. However, I do think this is worth noting that this is an ultrasound-guided injection. This did not have confirmation from fluoroscopy that this is actually intraarticular. And sometimes we all know SI joint injections can be quite frustrating, even with fluoroscopy, even in the best hands. So really something to consider from an outcomes perspective that we do have to be concerned about whether or not the platelet-rich plasma injection was actually intraarticular or was it just intraligamentous from an expectation standpoint. We also have uh, evidence for lumbar disc uh, using uh, PRP, leukocyte-rich PRP. This is out of the Journal of uh, Physical Medicine and Rehab in 2016 with Dr. Greg Lutz. N of 47, intradiscal PRP, leukocyte-rich versus contrast as control. And the PRP was better with pain and function at two months. And these results lasted at the one-year mark when rechecked. Now we need to talk about the fact that all of these show a significant improvement or a benefit from platelet-rich plasma, but we also have safety. These are showing significant improvement in safety, and there's been no adverse events reported with autologous blood-derived therapies that have been administered for orthopedic pathology. In the reviews of the available safety data, it's generally concluded that there is inherent safety of the injectate as it is an autologous injectate. The most common adverse event is a short-term pain at the site of injection, often attributed to those pro-inflammatory uh, cytokine profile of platelet-rich plasma. Sometimes there's been a concern uh, for introducing bacteria to the injectate during the processing uh, process of what both platelet-rich plasma and PL, but platelet-rich plasma does appear to be inherently antimicrobial due to the content of white blood cells. And additionally, there's been no reports of infection after PRP or platelet lysate injections that's been published. When we talk about FDA requirements, although the equipment that's used to produce PRP and injections in general have been cleared by the FDA, PRP injection is still considered investigational and has not been officially approved by the FDA for most uses. 
That being said, since PRP is a substance that is derived from one's own blood, it is definitely not considered a drug. And then, thus, it is exempt from those FDA regulations. When we talk about dosing and concentration, we say, well, what about that JAMA article, those three JAMA articles about the randomized controlled trial, the RESTORE trial out of Australia, that concluded that PRP was not better than saline for patients with mid-grade knee arthritis. Now, if you dig deeper, what this actually shows is that the technique that was used was a concentration of 1.2 times baseline, which is not actually technically considered PRP. And the dose that uh, was shown was 1.6 billion injection dose per week, which is significantly lower than the usual recommended dose. And even if we did three doses weekly, this would still be lower than the 5 billion uh, level. And this does appear via their trials that this is insufficient to treat knee arthritis. What this study was quite helpful is clarifying that dosing does matter and really should be considered. Unfortunately, there are conclusions that PRP is not beneficial for osteoarthritis applications was not borne out in their research study. Additionally, if we look at the 2021 PRP versus corticosteroids for that partial thickness rotator cuff tear, we really have to be critical of the injection location where PRP was intratendinous and subacromial, whereas the corticosteroid was subacromial only. This is an N of 99 patients at a level one study, leukocyte poor, 1.6x, 10cc blood draw. And we really do have to be critical of this and, and say, is this appropriate dosing? PRP had better pain and function at three months, but equal at one year. And so when we look at these studies, this also applies to the fact that really dosing matters and needs to be taken into account. And the research needs to be critically appraised as to what it's actually showing, and you can't just read the abstract. So that concludes my talk on that portion. Next up will be the top five applications. So where to use PRP based on the evidence? These are my top five applications. There's overwhelming support for use in osteoarthritis, tendinopathy, and ligament applications. My first is NeoA. Second would be a shoulder, a rotator cuff, partial thickness, tendon tear. Third would be gluteus medius, a partial tendon tear or tendinopathy. Fourth would be lateral epicondylitis. And then fifth is a tie, MCL versus UCL of the elbow. And there's good support for a carpal tunnel syndrome, lumbar disc disease, ankle arthritis, and CFC arthritis. I think we have another. Um, we do have to have some specific considerations for knee arthritis. We have to consider whether it's leukocyte-rich or leukocyte-poor. For intraarticular joint injections, we have found a more favorable outcome for leukocyte-poor PRP. Uh, leukocyte-poor PRP activates more of the anti-inflammatory and fewer of the pro-inflammatory cytokines while still delivering an adequate concentration of platelets. Alternatively, leukocyte-rich PRP showed less favorable outcomes for synoviocytes. This was out of the AJSM study in 2014. Additionally, we recommend a leukocyte-rich for tendon or ligament applications, as we have seen improvement um, out of Amlin Mishra's study, but also other studies showing leukocyte-rich is a more applicable for tendon and ligament applications. So when we're talking about concentration, 
This is an increase from baseline, so factor X from baseline. Unfortunately, everybody's baseline is variable and not reproducible. Uh, we do know that there is mounting evidence for minimum concentration for effect, just like a dose response curve. When you're talking about medications, there appears to be a similar curve for platelet-rich plasma. I am going to be recommending uh, cell counting, either hemocytometer or send-off uh, recommendation. And we start to talk about dose of platelets, not X concentration increase. But if we don't have any studies or we're not collecting data on the, our baseline concentration of platelets, then really an X factor increase for concentration has no significant bearing. And really, we should be testing a baseline platelet to test um, numbers as well as PRP platelet to then decide on um, how many platelets we have per ml. And then we can also indicate how many mls per application for a final dose. There is not currently agreed data on dosing. We do need more data points on the dose response curve. But there are some indications for NEOA that 10 billion is an effective dose for pain relief, and it is chondroprotective from Bonsal uh, in scientific reports in 2021. For applications of rotator cuff or tendinopathy, it does appear that 5 billion is a good dose response curve of data point that we've been looking at. And really, we at least need to be monitoring this. So research guides treatment. We have research. We have candidacy. And this shows good outcomes when we know exactly what we're talking about as far as dosing, as far as classification. We still don't have a single classification system to be able to compare PRP studies and draw our conclusions for our patients. But hopefully these uh, level one and level two evidence studies at least give us a really good place to start. It's imperative to classify and report the specifics on how your PRP was prepared, what dose you quantified, and technique of injection, whether it was guided or unguided. Please collect data on every single one of your patients and know what you're injecting to compare against the literature for expected outcomes. We still have a lot of work to do, but the future is bright. I'm quite excited. The only limit to our realization of tomorrow will be our doubts of today. And that's from Franklin Roosevelt. Have a great day. This has been the Business of Orthobiologics podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you want to know more, please join us on the website prp-now.com and click on the free masterclass. Also, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast to get more guidance on integrating PRP in your busy practice. Bye for now.